We are starting a new series, actually going through the book of Luke. We're going to start in chapter 4, try to cover about uh, one chapter every two weeks. And so this is going to be good for you, because if you want to know what we're studying next week, just read ahead. And, you know, jot down some notes, ask yourself some questions, and, you know, uh, see if we cover it here. And I know that many of you are thinking that, God, Luke, you know, why Luke? Um, well, I'll tell you. You know, many times when I, if you're, you're like me, you know, when I read the Bible, I read the Bible and I'll read, you know, a, a half a chapter, part of a chapter, I'll read a story, and, um, you know, I, I just want to tell you, and, and we get like what we call vignettes or little snippets of a story, and We'll walk away thinking about that, but I want you to know that in God's mind, we're going to, I'm going to show you some scriptures on this in just a moment, but in, in the heart of God, in the mind of God, and in the writer, the Holy Spirit directing this, everything is done for a reason. And while there is a story that's being told, these each individual stories about a healing of a blind man or a leper or something that Jesus did or a confrontation, there's an underlying story that kind of paints a broader picture. And I think for most of us, we've really never, never got that. And so over the next few you know, months, uh, and I, the reason, one of the reasons I started in chapter 4 is that chapter 1, you know, deals with Zechariah and the, you know, the uh, announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. Chapter 2 deals with the birth of Jesus, and chapter 3 t- talks about Jesus starting his ministry, being filled with the Holy Spirit. But my thought was that if this thing goes long enough, by the time we get to December, we can come back to chapter 1 and 2. All right, so um, let me just, I'm going to pray for just a moment, and, and I'm just, uh, just, I sense God's power, God's presence uh, here this morning. And I'm, I'm so glad that you're here today, and I just believe that God's going to touch you and speak to you before the day's over if he has, hasn't already. But Lord, we just, uh, we just say, just give us clarity of heart and mind this morning. We welcome you here, Father. And we stand against every distraction, Lord God, of the enemy. And Father, we know that the enemy is ready to pounce on the seed as soon as it's sown. Your word speaks about how the enemy comes to steal the seed. But Father, we pray that this morning you'd make our hearts good, fertile soil, that you'd plow up the fallow ground, and God, make us people ready to receive your word, that we would not just be hearers of your word, Lord, but we would take that word, it would be established in our hearts and our lives, and that uh, we'd be rooted and a grounded people uh, declaring the glory of God from this day forward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so a long, 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 long time ago, there was a man that lived in a perfect environment. And, uh, I mean, the environment that Adam lived in, uh, we've never, the world has never seen since. I mean, he, he comes into this perfect place, and uh, everything is ideal. It's just absolutely perfect. Uh, I mean, the setting, the surrounding, God's presence. There's one thing that God asked him not to do, asked Adam and Eve not to do, to, to look or behold or to touch or to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And they violated that. And so God at that point, he had, he had one option and one option only. He could just say, you know what, I, you know, death is the punishment for this sin, for this transgression. I'm going to, you know, wipe out Adam, wipe out Eve, and, you know, that, you know, my plan failed. But God chose to not do that. And what he said that he would do is that he would create a second Adam, one that would be obedient, one that would be faithful, one that would do everything that he told him to do, and uh, that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so God chose this, what we call amazing grace. He chose to give us grace rather than punishment, rather than, than to give us death, and uh, so that we could have a relationship with him. And so, as I mentioned, in Luke chapter 4, we, uh, we pick up with... Uh, uh, in chapter 3, Jesus, uh, you know, he, he goes to John the Baptist. John is out in the wilderness declaring, you know, prepare the way of the Lord, make his uh, pathway, uh, pathway straight. Um, and uh, Jesus gets baptized. We see the Holy Spirit fall upon him. And uh, he's got this new anointing and new power. And guys, we did this whole series just the last couple of months on being filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. But just ask yourself this question. If Jesus needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, how much more do you and I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And so we pick up in, in, John, chapter, um, in John chapter 4, um, and I've got a couple of points that I'm going to make. Uh, 
about this about this message, the three trials and uh, temptations of Jesus. And then Mike is going to come and take a few minutes and just kind of close and show us how to how to be overcomers. It says, then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Um, and by the way, this is, uh, if, if you've got, this is why it's so good. Oh, by the way, one more thing. You got sermon notes in your hand? Who's got, everybody, if you got sermon notes, hold them up. Okay, repeat after me. Goodbye, Goodbye. sermon notes. Sermon it's the last day, guys. It's the last day. Next week, bring your Bibles, okay? <laughs> All right, it's a whole new format here next week. A lot of things are happening. Um, so, and in the back of your Bible, most of you will have a Bible that's got some maps in the back of it. And if you're looking at a Bible map in the back of your Bible, you'll notice that Israel kind of like, you know, oblong, and up in the northern end of Israel, you've got the Sea of Galilee, and uh, this is where all of this is happening. Most of Jesus' ministry took place, in, uh, he lived in Nazareth, lived in Capernaum, and a lot of the ministry, most of his ministry took place in that northern area uh, above the Sea of Galilee in the early days. And so uh, we see here that he was uh, 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 in that area north of the Galilee. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. If you've ever been there, I have. It's, uh, I mean, it's just a rugged, rugged place. Um, and it says, in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards when uh, they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to be bread, but Jesus answered him and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And then the devil, taking him to a high mountain, showed him um, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And I don't know how that happened. I don't know if that was a physical uh, move or if it was in the spirit, like Paul talked about going up to, into heaven to that third heaven or paradise. He wasn't sure how it was. Uh, but he's able to see all the, kings of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship, uh, if you will worship before me, all of it will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then he, the devil, brought Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down from him, from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, uh, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had uh, ended every temptation, he departed from him until a more opportune time. We'll come back and talk about that in just a moment. So, um, let me just point out a couple of things. Now, as we go through this book, if we go through the book of Luke, there are certain things that I want you to pick up on, and I'm going to repeat this over the next couple of weeks. But uh, I want us to just think about, what, you know, what is this about? What, what is this whole encounter with the devil, this fasting thing about? What does it mean? How does it fit for us? How does it apply to us? Well, before I answer that, I need to take you to John chapter 5. And in John chapter 5, it says... The Son, this is what Jesus is saying. Now listen to this. The Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees the Father doing because the Father does, or what the Father does, the Son does also. So, Jesus, so He's saying that every step, every step of His life is structured. Not only every step, never every act, every movement that He makes is structured. There's point and purpose behind everything that Jesus does. But he goes on to say in John chapter 12, I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say, listen to this, and how to say it. So not only does he do, does he walk every place that God the Father is telling him what to do or where to go, he says every word that he says is a calculated word. He's not just out there with random words, just flippant words, you know, you know, just like we do a lot of times, you know, conversation about things that don't even matter. You know, it's easy for us to talk about sports and, you know, things and hobbies and things that we're interested in, but Jesus was just so focused and so directed in what he did and how he did it and what he said and how he said it. And then I want us to look just uh, quickly at First uh, John chapter 2 before we get into uh, the breakdown of the story. And in First John, he says, Do not love the world 
or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. Notice these three things. And, you know, the devil's strategy never changes. I mean, he has the same strategy, you know, in the garden as he had with the children of Israel in the wilderness, as he had with Jesus uh, in these three temptations that we see with Jesus, as he has with you and I today. And he says that, don't love the world or the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and notice these three things, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God will abide forever. And so let's look and break down these three areas of temptation. The first one is uh, the lust of the flesh. Uh, go back, I'm going to just kind of point this out again. In those days, talking about Jesus, he ate nothing, and afterwards when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him and said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And this has to do with, the lust of the flesh has to do with our bodily appetites. It has to do with uh, um, our drunkenness and drugs and addictions and gluttonies and adultery and fornication and homosexuality, all of these bodily, uh, these appetites that we have, these lustful appetites that we have deal with the lust of the flesh. And so as I begin to think about this, and you know, I don't know if any of you guys have ever fasted for any extended period of time or not, but fasting is just like one of the most difficult things I think that we can do as Christians. And I have on occasions, I, I think I've done a, I know I've done a couple of seven-day fasts, and I think I did a 10-day fast one time. And this was just like, you know, just water, no food, nothing. And after, for me, at least for me, and I'm just thinking about Jesus going 40 days, um, but, you know, after a couple of days, it's just like, you are so weak. You're so weak, you just can't, I mean, you don't have, I've, I've got to take like two or three naps a day, you know, just to just like regain strength. And I, I remember once uh, when I was doing this longer fast, I was down in Albuquerque, and all your senses are just so heightened. I mean, you can smell, I can smell, I mean, individual, I can smell Kentucky Fried Chicken. I can, I can smell Burger King. I mean, I'm identifying these things. And, you know, I'm, I'm pumping gas, and I think even the, a couple of the kids were with me, and I'm pumping gas, and, and these fumes are just coming out of the tank. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die right here. You know, my, my fast is going to end right here at this gas tank. But... Um, but can you imagine Jesus just like in this incredible moment of weakness and Satan comes out and, and starts tempting him, you know, to, uh, you know, to turn these, uh, the, these stones into, into bread. Now, um, I, you know, one of the things that I want to point out is that, you know, the way that we read that, we, the way that we read that, um, the, the Greek, the way the, the Greek phrases that, we don't phrase it that way in English. The way that the English puts it, it almost asks, asks like, uh, it's almost like as if Satan's asking the question, you know, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. But the real Greek translation of that is because, because you are the Son of God, you know, turn this stone into bread. I mean, you deserve better than this, is what Satan is telling Jesus. I mean, after all, you are, because you are the Son of God, turn the stone into bread. I mean, you came from glory. Look what you had up there. I mean, you don't have to suffer like this. This takes some shortcuts. And really, really, all three of these temptations, guys, are really about us taking shortcuts, taking shortcuts in life, because, you know, the enemy will whisper to us, you know, about these fleshly, lustful, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the, and the, and the, and the pride of life. You know, you don't need to get married. Just live together. You know, take a shortcut here. That's what God said. Don't, don't worry about what God says. You know, do what, you know, and this is exactly what Satan is telling Jesus, you know. Take a shortcut here. You don't have to do what God the Father wants you to do. I mean, after all, you are the Son of God. And so I want us to look at three things in this passage of Scripture. I want us to look at, number one, uh, the parallels between um, you know, Old Testament, the children of Israel being in the wilderness. And there are three things that were very common then. Remember, the first thing that God said, or through Moses to Pharaoh, that Israel is my firstborn son. That's what he said. And he said, I'm telling you to let him go that he might worship me. All right? And so we see the son of God, the true son of God right here in this story. And then we see this number. It says that Jesus fasted for 40 days. And when, we, when, when you look at numbers in the Bible, uh, the number 40 is associated with trial and testing. Let me give you some examples. Uh, it rained on the earth for 40 days. 
Moses was in the wilderness for 40, uh, 40 years. He was on the, in, in Midian for 40 years, and then he led the children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years. And, uh, you know, the, um, we see Moses fasting for 40 days, twice. Uh, once without, uh, with wa- without water, he just bread and water. I mean, no bread, no water. And uh, we see Elijah fasting. We see uh, the giant taunting the children of Israel for 40 days, comes out and taunts them. And so 40 is associated with uh, a trial and testing. And then this whole thing with the wilderness experience that we'll get into in just a moment about the children of Israel going through this time of trial and testing. And, and God says, ten times, you know, you challenged me, you tested me. It was about food, it was about water, it was about complaining and murmuring, all of these things in the wilderness experience. So, uh, you know, the, the enemy's strategy has, has not changed. So, um, let me, I, I, w- I want to go to the... Um, I want to go to the, the little video clip, and I want to I read that scripture again. I mean, I'm not asking you to go there, but just what we just saw. But uh, Paul, Paul kind of picks up on this, and he, and he, and he picks up on, you know, uh, you know, I think that we have a tendency to believe that, you know, that Jesus, uh, and we know that he was the Son of God, but we also know that he left glory, and he set aside, you know, his glory and power and came here, and showed us how that we could live. And I think that's part of this story. This is part of the underlying story. It's not just a story about, you know, Jesus, the Savior, fasting, and, and uh, the, his encounter with the, with the devil. But it's also showing you and I how that we can be overcomers, just like he was an overcomer, showing us how that we can be overcomers. And I know that, guys, we get a mindset where we think that, uh, well, this is just my life struggle, and, you know, once I die and go to heaven, everything's going to be okay. But see, I, don't, I, I think that God wants you to be okay now. I don't think he wants you to wait until you enter into eternity to be okay. I think he wants to give you power and authority and victory, victory right now so you can be an overcomer. And, you know, and, and Jesus is just like on display here. I mean, God is just saying, you know, this is my son. Look at him. Look what he did. But he doesn't want to just do that with Jesus. He wants to do that with you. He wants to make you that overcomer, that trophy, so he can point to you, and then you can give glory to God the Father because of what Jesus has done in your life. All right. So Paul goes on to say, um, in 1 Corinthians, he said, don't you know that uh, in a race, and, and this is timely because of the uh, Olympics, you know, uh, that's going on, and, and you listen to some of the ways that some of these guys, uh, you know, practice and tried, and the hardships and the heartaches, and, you know, I mean, one of the stories that just broke my heart, you know, about that, uh, that ice skater, and I can't even, I don't, I don't think he made the finals, did he? Did he make the, the guy that cut his, uh, you know, did you guys see that? I mean, show him just this, this intensity of training and training. And, I mean, he's just like pouring it out and pouring it out and pouring it out. And on one lap, he takes the fall, and his skate actually slices through between his knee and his thigh, you know, in his thigh. And, I mean, he just like flayed open. And, uh, you know, he, I kept thinking, I'm rooting for this guy. I want, you to, I want you to do it. Come back, dude, win. But he didn't. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't make the cut. But Paul is saying here, he says that, that in a race all runners run, but one gets the prize. Run in such a way to get the prize. And so that's what I want, to, I want us to, are we running this morning? Are we just like, you know, this is not a sideline sport. This is not a football game. It's not like, you know, go team, go. You, you are the team. You're in it. You're in it. And it says they do it so they'll get a crown. But listen what he says. He said they get a crown that won't even last. I mean, in those days, it was just like a little olive wreath or something. He says, therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So this is what Jesus is doing. I want to just tell you that, back to fasting again. If you, if you can get a grip on fasting, I, I'm, I'm going to just tell you, I, I can promise you this. I don't care what your sin struggle is today. I don't care what your sin problem is today. That when you get to this place of fasting in your life, we, I, all you can think about, you, you will never, I, I, you have sexual impurity thoughts, you have sexual promiscuity, you got a problem with the internet, pornography, you got problems with anger or greed or any of these other things. You will never think about those when you're fasting. All you can think about is food. I mean, all you want is food. Nothing, uh, n- nothing can compare. 
And so I think that this is what the Lord's saying. You know, if you want to deal with this, you've got to get serious with it. He says, Jesus said, if your right eye offends you, punch that thing out. If your right hand offends you, cut that thing off. And this is the way that you deal with it. It's like, God, I am serious. I'm going to wrestle with this thing, and I want to win. I am going to beat my body, and I'm going to make it subjective to me. All right. And then, you know, and this is one way, guys, that we approach. It's like we, we think, well, I'm going to approach God because this is my desire. And I'm going to pray about it, and I'm going to read the Word. And please, that's important. You need to pray. You need to word, read the Word. But you know what? Sometimes you've got to lay the ax to the root of the tree. You've got to get serious about it. And, and so you're not going to will yourself. Those, those Olympians, they don't just show up and, you know, just like, okay, Y'all practice four years, y'all practice four years. I started last week. Let's go. It doesn't work that way. You've got to put your, your body, your, your body, your soul, and your, your spirit, you've got to make it subject. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul, he, he's still on this theme, okay? This theme of 40 days, uh, you know, the, the time of trial and testing, uh, the time in the wilderness, the Son of God, and all of those things that went on in the wilderness. And, and Paul just kind of picks up on that after uh, chapter 9. He says, moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But most, But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became an example to the intent that we would not lust after the evil that they lusted after. It's like they got out there, it's just like, forget God. Moses is on the mountain, hey, let's party. You know, make a calf, food, drink, whatever your flesh wants. Sexual desires, food, gluttony, all of those things. But, you know, the Bible says, you know, when we, when we think about this, when we think about, you know, Jesus being in the wilderness, the Son of God being in the wilderness, and, and that time of trial, that trial, time of, of testing. And so, so what's the difference, really? What's the difference between, you know, us being tried and us being tempted? Well, the goal, the end goal is, is, is what the difference is. If, if, I, if I'm putting you through a trial, my goal is for you to come through like refiner's fire, better than you were than before you went into it, stronger than you were than before you went in it. But, you know, Satan's got just one card that he likes to play, and, and that's the temptation card. And his goal is to play that card to get you to fall and to stumble, you know, to be tempted and fall. Um, James says in James chapter 1, blessed or happy is the man who is patient under trial and stands up under temptation, for when he has stood the test and has been proved or approved, he will receive the victor's crown of life, which God has promised to those that love him. And let no one say, let no one say when he's tempted that I'm tempted of God, for God is incapable of being tempted by what is evil, and he himself tempts no one. But every person is tempted when he's drawn away, enticed and baited by his own evil desires. And so God wants to, you know, see you stand the test, and Satan wants to see you fall. It's interesting that all three of these temptations, uh, you know, the bow, uh, turning the uh, uh, stone into bread and bowing down and worshiping uh, him uh, and uh, jumping off the pinnacle of the temple, all of them are, the, the background for those scriptures are in Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8. In chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, it says, remember how the Lord your God, and Paul, you know, this is just still, still that same theme here, but he says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Well, God knows what's in your heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't know our heart, but God knows our heart. And so God was just trying to get them to see what was in their heart. He says, whether or not you would keep his commandments. And he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna neither, that neither you or your fathers had known, to teach you what man, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yeah, Boda says, he said, this, fast forward to Numbers chapter 11, and this is that story. This is where it all begins to unravel. He says the rabble, um, and, and, though, and I think another translation says that those that have evil, uh, lustful 
hearts. They began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if, we'd only, if we only had meat to eat, we remember, remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this man of God. How can you do this to us? Sounds like your kids. Well, I don't like that. Like that. I remember we were uh, traveling once and we were, uh, many of you don't know this story, but when my, uh, my brother, I think was 33 or 34, he passed away and, and he had a son that was about, uh, I think he was about 18 months older than Jason and came and lived with us for a while. And I mean, it was just, it, he was just, he was going through a real difficult time, lost his father and, and so we're trying to make life better for him and, and sometimes we did, sometimes we didn't, but I remember we were coming back from a trip and we were going to stop at a restaurant and, you know, fast food, try to get something decent fast food. And uh, if that's such a thing. And, uh, and so we were thinking, uh, let's, go to, let's go to KFC. We'll get some chicken and we'll, uh, we'll get some you know, slaw and some veggies and stuff. And he's like, no, 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 I want to go to McDonald's. I want to go to McDonald's. And I was like, no, let's go to KFC. No, let's go to McDonald's. And so, all right, dude, we'll, whatever, we'll go to McDonald's. We go in. The kid orders chicken fingers. <laughs> I want to kill him. I'm going to kill him. And then he didn't meet them all. He rolls them up. It's like. All right. It says, tell the people, listen to this. This is how God feels. I know that you felt this way too. Tell the people, consecrate yourself. This is after they're complaining. We're talking, you know, we don't, you know, we we don't want man anymore. We want this other stuff. We want flesh. They wanted some, they wanted chicken fingers or they wanted something (laughs) Tell the people, consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow, and you will eat meat. And the Lord heard you when you wailed. If, you, if we only had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. I mean, it's not just eating of the meat. It's just like they're turning their back on the whole program. Yeah, forget God. Forget the plan. Forget the promised land. Let's go back. We were better off eating all that food we had back in Egypt and, and, uh, and the slavery that we were in. But notice verse 19. He says, you will not eat it just for one day. I love it. The momentum's building here. Or two days. Or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and has wailed before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? And this has, it has, it has to do with more than a, um, you know, just their complaining. It's showing that real heart issue. It's showing what was really in their heart. It was just like, God, you know, I, I, I don't want anything to do with you. It's kind of like, remember Jacob and Esau when Esau had gone out hunting and Jacob prepared the food and, and Esau comes back and he says, man, I'm going to die. I'm going to starve and, you know, give me some of your food. And, and Jacob says, I'll, I'll give you some of the food, but it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you the birthright. And, and Esau's like, birthright? Who cares? I don't need a birthright. I'm hungry. I want to eat. And so he was willing, like many of us are today, to trade the eternal for the temporal. And later on, it says that he wanted to repent, but he couldn't. You know, he just couldn't find that. that, that re- uh, he was sorry that, you know, he ended up the way he did. He was sorry about the outcome, the circumstances, but he was not remorseful about trading the eternal birthright. Uh, the second point is that uh, when Satan couldn't come through with plan one, uh, bowing down, making Jesus after this just, you know, incredible, t- intense time of fasting. The second thing that he does is he challenges him with the lust of the eyes. And this is an excessive desire for the things of the world, covetousness and greed and idolatry, the love of money for, and financial dishonesty that results from the lust of the eyes. It says, then the devil took him up to the high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world uh, in a moment's time, and the devil said to him, all authority I give you and their glory. He says, uh, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. Was he lying? Was Satan lying? No. He had this authority. When, when Adam sinned, he gave all of this up. And now Satan is saying to Jesus, all of this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I can give it to whomever, whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So, I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, what's the, what's the trick here? What's the temptation? Because Jesus, knowing he is the word of God, right? Hello? <laughs> he is the word of God. He knows the word of God. He, he, he understands the word of God. In Luke chapter 131, it says, 
Behold, this is the, the, the word of the Lord. Uh, it says, Behold, you will conceive, it's spoken to Mary, uh, in your womb and bring forth a son, and she'll call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. We see that in Isaiah chapter 9. Um, the government shall be upon his shoulder. There will be no end of his rule and his reign. Uh, in the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had, that last, that last vision where the, the, the stone is hewn and knocks this big you know, towering thing over, you know, it's all about Jesus. It's all about his kingdom ruling and reigning. He knew that. He knew that. So, uh, and, and, and Satan obviously knows the word. He's quoting Jesus' scripture here. So, I mean, what is, what, what's Satan getting to? I mean, Jesus, I already got that. I already got that. I, I got the kingdoms of the world. But there was one little caveat in there. And for a moment, what Satan is offering Jesus is, you can do it without the cross. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to suffer through life. You are the son of God. You are the king of glory. No suffering, no misery, no, you know. And so what Satan is saying, let's just circumvent, let's take that shortcut and circumvent God's plan. And let me put you in a place of power and position. And Jesus chooses the right road. And then having failed on the first two attempts, uh, he turns to plan number three. And, uh, and Satan starts using Scripture. This is kind of interesting, too, just to note. That have you ever noticed you can be talking to somebody and you can have a casual conversation, and then you'll say something like, uh, well, you know the Bible says? Remember that old commercial? Some of you are going to really date yourself if you remember this. But when E.F. Hutton speaks, you got that restaurant full of people, and E.F. Hutton starts, and everybody stops like, well, when... Uh, when we, start, when we start quoting scriptures like, that's right, that's, what, that's God, that's God's word, that's what God's word said. You know, one of the problems is that we have today is what Satan did back then. He doesn't quote it correctly. He doesn't quote the complete scripture. By the way, you know the top five Bible passages uh, that we quote as scripture that aren't scripture? Let me just read them off to you. God helps those that help themselves. All right, we know where that is. Where, where is that? Yeah, and It's just like it's, it's, it's close, but it's not close. Uh, we know that not to be true. God helps those who can't help themselves. That's why we need a Savior. Uh, spare the rod and spoil the child. Well, the Scripture says that the one who withholds or spares the rod is the one who hates his son. Oh, here's a good one right here. God works in mysterious ways. Yeah, we always think that that's scripture. And another one, cleanliness is next to godliness. Yeah. And then pride goes before fallen. That's pretty close, but it doesn't say that. It says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So, uh, so we see here that you know, Satan is starting to you know, try to quote some scripture uh, you know, to Jesus and you know, he misquotes this psalm. Psalm 91, if you go back and look at it, you know, it talks about how God the Father would protect the Messiah, keep him from stumbling, keep him from falling. And, uh, but the, the, at the end of that, he talks about because. Why does God do this? And the, and the because is there. He said, because he loves me. The Son loves me, and that's why I do these things for the Son, because of his obedience to me. The third thing I want us to look at here is the pride of life and this is that, you know, this incredible, like we can get so, I mean, guys, you can start off good. You can start off strong. And then there's all kind of like, you know, all of a sudden the straight and narrow road has a fork in it or there's a, a turn or, you know, something happens in life that kind of sidetracks you, a hurt, a disappointment. You get mad at God. You get disappointed in God. A relationship didn't work out. A, a business deal didn't work out. And so instead of just like, you know, looking at, you know, at, at, at what, what really is happening, we start blaming God. God, if you really loved me, you wouldn't have let this happen. You wouldn't let me go, be going through this, this trial right now. But maybe it's the trial that God is trying to get you through to, to help you see the bigger picture. And so uh, the pride of life, um, 
As I said, you know, the desire for glory or fame, someone who struggles with pride of life is tempted by worldly honors and fame, reputation and position. It says that uh, Jesus, uh, the devil brought him up to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in their hands. They will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, in our mind, I, I think we're thinking, well, if Jesus would have thrown himself off the pinnacle of the temple, he would have proved it. But in the eyes of God, God's saying, you know, you're not really trusting in me. You're putting me to the test, and I don't want you to put me to the test. Uh, let me just, just a little side note. Uh, for those of you that have heard my testimony, this scripture right here, the scripture is really about suicide, okay? Um, the, if, you, if, you, if you'll Google the uh, pinnacle of the temple, you'll find that the pinnacle of the temple overlooking the Kidron, Kidron Valley is probably five or 600 feet. So it wasn't just like stepping off here to there. It's like he's up on the highest point of the temple to the valley floor below, five or 600 feet. It's like, take your life. See if you will survive this. Now, there was a time in my life where, I mean, I, life could not have been better. I, Nina and I are, were then and now madly in love, raising kids and, you know, crazy about each other. I had a good job. You know, at, at that time in our life, we had, uh, at least I had, already surpassed many of the things that my parents had. And, uh, you know, you, you hear me say this, and it's, it's kind of funny, it's kind of a joke, but my blood type is my personality. I am a B-positive blood type. I am also a B-positive person. And it's just like I, I've never, ever, 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 ever had a thought like that. But, you know, there came a time in my life where depression just like, man, it was just like, it was there. I couldn't get it off. It was just like, I could not shake this thing. And when I talked to people about it, I'd, I'd visit with people and say, you know what? Man, I'm just, I feel like I'm losing my mind. What's going on? And, you know, the, the, here's the most common answer was just get over it. Like, Dang, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> get over it. All right, I'll try that next time. But guys, I, seriously, this went on for weeks and months, and I'm starting to lose weight, and I'm starting to develop a, uh, an ulcer, and I'm, you know, and, and, and I'm just like, I, I've got this, this, these voices that are just like, you know, just, you know, just that are, I just can't shake it, I can't get away from it, and I'm trying to read the Word, and I can't read the Word, the Word makes no sense to me, and I can't pray, it feels like my prayers are just going from here to there, and they stop, and I don't, I don't feel like I've got any kind of relationship with God, and my prayer for six months is, oh God, Oh, God, 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 oh, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me, God. I mean, I just, that was it. I couldn't pray beyond that. And nobody that I knew, and that's why this, 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 this story this morning is so important, no one that I knew knew anything about spiritual warfare. And, and I believed in God, but I, honestly, i got to tell you, I don't, I don't think I believed in the devil at that time. And so after about five or six months, I listened to me because I know that this is speaking to someone here this morning. You need to hear this word. But I was reading, and uh, uh, Nina's uh, uh, mom, stepmom, Rita, had given me a Bible. It's called a Schofield Bible. It's the first time I had a Bible like this. It had a lot of notes in the, in the column. And I looked at that column. I, came to, I was reading one night, trying to read one night, and I was reading that passage of Scripture, this very passage of Scripture right here, Luke chapter 4. I'm reading it, and I read that note in that Schofield Bible that talked about how the pinnacle of the temple was several hundred feet above the valley floor, and that Satan was not just trying to get Jesus to step off a curb uh, or off a, you know, a ten-story building or, or a uh, one-story building. He was trying to, you know, jump down 500 feet and see if you'll live. And then when I read what Jesus did, he said, you know, in all of these examples, Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, I want to tell you guys, the, the closest thing that I can liken that to is Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. Honestly, when she threw that bucket of water on the witch, and that witch started writhing and screaming and backing up, guys remember that? You guys know what The Wizard of Oz is? All right, all right, all right. So, I mean, and, and, and that witch just starts screaming. I'm telling you, when I said that, 
When, I said, when that thought came into my mind and I said that, I'm telling you all hell began to flee. And all of these demons and all of this demonic stuff, and I wasn't losing my mind, and I wasn't going crazy, but I was under a spiritual attack. And when you come under a spiritual attack, you need to get into the Word of God. You need the power of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to push these forces back. You can't do it by yourself. You cannot do it by yourself. All right. I'm getting wound up. I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta get a bike up here. All right. Uh, uh, let's see. All right. Let's see. Um, all right. Psalm 91. I'm just gonna kind of move through these quickly. He talked about how because he loves me, uh, that I will rescue him. And then uh, Jesus, uh, or in Deuteronomy chapter six, he says, "Don't put the Lord your God to the test." And uh, and then Psalm 95 is just kind of like a story, a recap of, of that whole putting. God to the test, and he says that uh, he is our God, we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. He says, today, and I'll just say this to you right now, today if you'll hear his voice, and don't harden your heart, as in the day of trial, or that testing in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, and they tried my work, or they tried me, though they saw my work, for 40 years I was grieved with that generation, and said, it is a people who go astray in their heart, and they will not know my way. So I swore my wrath that they would not enter into my rest. I would just say to you that, you know, the trials that you face today, whether the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life, that God wants to see you victorious in every one of these areas. He wants you to be, uh, he wants you to be victorious. And if we think about, you know, again, Adam in that perfect environment, one thing that he had to, had to do, not eat of that tree, and Jesus, who is on the verge of death, keeping all of the law, all of the commandments, and yet uh, he was faithful. He was faithful to the very end. And just two scriptures, and then Mike will come up. It says, for just as though the disobedience of one man, that many were made sinners, talking about Adam, so through the obedience of one man, many will be, be made righteous. And then we see that, uh, that Jesus... Um, it says that that passage of Scripture ended, and it says that when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And we know what that opportune time, that there was this inciting of the mobs, the turning of the crowd against Jesus, against his work. Um, and we'll talk about this more in days to come. Uh, Mike is going to come up, and he's going to take a few minutes and, and just talk about, you know, just how, how we overcome. So... Give Michael a warm welcome. You might be able to hear me without the microphone. I'm pretty loud. Pastor asked me to, to do this, to come up with some scriptures and some things about overcoming temptation. And great sermon, by the way. I get fired up too. And I get pumped up starting to think about becoming an overcomer. You know, so I put together about two days worth of notes, but I'm going to try to get you guys out of here by midnight tonight. Um, some of you guys are like, is he serious? Um, prayer is the key. I think about an old hymn about uh, temptation. It's, I need thee every hour. Does anybody remember that song? That's old school. If we've been to church, I think more than three years, we've probably heard it. But uh, it says, stay, now, stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. I'd say in the first text, the most important thing as we see in Luke 4 is that it says that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit. And so the first key for me would be to say prayer is a necessity in overcoming temptation. Prayer is a necessity of life. It is like breathing. We cannot do anything without oxygen, and we can do nothing in the Christian life without prayer. And so I'm, I'm really going to try to run through these quick. Uh, Luke 11:13 says, "You who are evil, how do you know how to give good I'm paraphrasing, so forgive me if I mess this up. How do you know how to give good gifts? Right? But it says, "How much more is our heavenly Father willing to pour out the Holy Spirit to those who ask?" Prayer. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask to be filled. Ask to be led. When we truly pray, uh, I want to go to Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. 
It says, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, and as he accustomed and his disciples also followed him, when he came to the place, he said to the disciples this, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Prayer. Does everybody know in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer? Right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Prayer. It's all through the scriptures. Another one is I want to talk about being vigilant and watching. And it goes into Matthew 26. If you guys saw my sermon notes, you wouldn't know how I preached. So I don't want you guys to look at that. No. Go to Matthew chapter 26, 41. It says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. Watch and pray. You think about fasting. What is the one way to destroy your flesh? Fasting. Become weak. Because in your weakness, that's how Christ can be strong in your life. That's the key of fasting. It's not like to put you guys through like turmoil and grief. It's to allow us to see the strength of Christ in our lives. 1 Peter 5.8. A lot of people I feel don't realize that we are in a war. We really don't. And I think a lot of times we become complacent. And complacency, if any of you guys have ever been to war is the number one killer in war, and I believe that complacency is the number one killer in the Christian life as well. We become complacent. And so it says in 1 Peter 5, chapter 8, or I mean, sorry, chapter 5, verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may to devour. Resist him, steadfast in this faith, knowing in the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. That actually gives us a little bit of courage, realizing that you're not the only one that's going through this temptation, right? Other people in the world are being tempted. We see here, Jesus Christ was tempted himself, and we see how he overcomes it. How, how does he fight it? And that's going to lead me into this next one, but we must be vigilant. We must be sober. We must not lose sight we must run this race as if we really are running. We must discipline our body, make it our slave. And that's why it's important to encourage each other. That's why it's important to come and get together like this. Iron sharpens iron, right? And that's what we are supposed to do, to sharpen each other. To be strong in the Lord, Ephesians 6. And I believe this is up there in those slides. I don't know if Pastor gave those to you. Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Be strong. We must fight, and the only way to do that is by dwelling on the power of the Lord. We think about Jesus Christ, and that's kind of where I want to go into Hebrews 4.12, how he fights. We talk about this armor, then what is our sword? Hebrews 4.12, what is our sword? The word of God, right? We got to know how to use it before we can use it in battle. We don't just give a guy a machine gun and, hey, here you go, without ever, ever teaching him or ever showing him how to load it, how to use it. So if we're never in our word, how can we fight with our word? If we don't memorize our word, when, this, when the devil comes to tempt us, when the devil really starts to come in and tempt us, and Jesus, what did he do? He was taking these thoughts captive, and that's where it goes into next. 2 Corinthians 10.5 talks about taking thoughts captive and making it obedient to Jesus Christ. And that's what we have to do when they come in. Use the word of God. It says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Is that slide up there for people to read? It's sharper than any double-edged sword, and it pierces even to the marrow and the bones. It divides 
We must accurately divide this word of truth. We must actually use the word of God to fight back over this temptation. That's what we see that Jesus Christ did. Also, I want to go to point three. I look at David. It talks about in Psalms 101 that David says he'll put nothing wicked before his eyes. Garbage in, guys. Garbage out. We've heard that, right? And so what do we look into? What do we watch if we're, if we're struggling? If we have problems with lust, then we probably shouldn't watch things that cause us to see lustful things. Does that make sense? So we should guard ourselves. Pastor really hit, you know, First John, don't love the things of this world. But another one I want to hit in 2 Timothy 2.22, it talks about fleeing temptation. Flee. That's what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee. We start thinking about Joseph and Potiphar. Sometimes in temptation, guys, you got to run. Run out the house. Don't play with temptation. A lot of times we play with temptation in our life, and it causes us to stumble and fall. Run from it. Literally, flee. Flee from it. First, company, or First Corinthians talks about bad character, or bad company corrupts good character. So the people who we hang out with as well. That's another temptation in our life. The people we hang out with, the people that we associate with, they could actually cause temptation into our life. So we really need to surround ourselves with holy people, people who are Christ-like, people who want to serve Christ, who with that same mind to be able to encourage you guys. The parable of the seed. Seeds being planted today. The Lord's speaking to people today. The Lord's always speaking. The answer is, are we listening? He's always speaking. Seed was planted today in pastor's message. You better believe that the devil is going to try to pull and take. And the cares of this world are going to try to take and uproot. But the one that we can truly rest in. When we think about Hebrews 4, and this is what we're going to close on. Hebrews 4, 15, and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need.